Hey everybody, welcome to a very special Baltimore Dive Bar live show, USCCB extravaganza episode of the Pillar Podcast. There are people here in this room, you wouldn't know it because they're not, I thought they were going to, I need to sign this as applause because I thought they were going to make noise then. Well, that was real, that was real, that was real, we didn't honestly, we honestly did not know if anyone was going to come. So, um, no, we did not. And I, I'm still kind of shocked. Okay, so I'm your host and Pillar Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn, and I'm joined by my podcasting partner and Pillar co-founder, Ed Condon, and uh, we're also joined by all of these new friends and a recent subscriber to the Pillar, that guy who got a t-shirt and then left. Like, a, okay. <laughs> like, um, I'll take it. What's that? He made it on the podcast. Exactly. Right? He, he goes home, he tells his wife, like, I made it on your stupid podcast, and then he goes back. And What's he crazy? Video you came games. to a dive bar. Definitely not a Baltimore dive bar. Yeah. Okay, so here's the deal. Okay, first of all, I think we need to talk about that. Um, we are here, if you're not in this room, then you're listening to this show at home. And um, so we're having this, this episode of the Pillar Podcast in a bar in Baltimore that's like about seven blocks. I know it's seven blocks, because so I counted seven blocks from the hotel where the U.S. bishops have their meeting and where the big pink dog um, statue is that they have. Um, I hope you guys know about that, but they have a big pink dog. Fifi, yeah, okay. Hashtag Fifi Gate, right? So we are, uh, we're, like a, we're at a bar there, and Ed and I came to this bar last year, and um, we were pretty sure that it was a dive bar, but we what we're wondering now is if we actually just had more to drink here than we thought that we did, and so it just in our minds like we got into this. But also, we um, remember we kind of prayed with that guy here. Uh, we did. We met a nice guy over Jello shots. That yeah, um, we met a nice guy over Jello shots. Who was the gonna... story of so many my sorority days? Yeah. Um, and he was going to – he was taking his test. He was going to be a fireman. He was taking tests. He was going to be a fireman. I don't exactly – you tell the story. Cause uh, well, that was pretty much it. We were talking to a guy who was going to be a fireman the next day. He was taking the test. And I'm, I am 100% sure he failed because <laughs> there's no way he was recovering from the state we were all in that yeah. night. And then going into like smoke-filled buildings and, and passing the And he had like the firefighters – test study guide book but he hadn't taken the plastic off of it yet and he just had jello shots lined up on it so probably didn't pass the thing but but didn't we we, we like prayed with him we did pray with him at mm-hmm. a certain point it was, yeah <laughs> it's very nice so we had in our mind that this was a certain kind of bar and we called it a dive bar and it's the it's kind actually, of bar that gives you jello shots unless you record a podcast in it yeah, what do you want actually I, they do sell jello shots for two dollars so i'm not sure i agree with you that it's not a dive bar um but it's not i mean dive bars don't have to be dirty you know they just have to be awesome Good, clean, fun. That's what we want. Yeah. Oh, Jello shots cost one dollar now because it's after dark. Oh, that's a dive bar. I mean, that's like yeah. Hold on to your wallet. Okay. So, um, so this bar is actually very nice, um, and we're kind of in the back room of it, and um, I can't see around this corner, but I'm imagining that it's. I I have been just psyching myself up by saying there's like a, a, a line outside the door and stuff and things. Um. Anyway, how you doing? Um. I, I'm. I'm really tired. Yeah. I, I, I almost, I mean, I'm normally pretty good at hanging in there for the dryer committee stuff, but I, <laughs> I, I it's been a long three weeks. I, I'm still kind of jet lagged. I, I have not slept in a non airless hotel room for quite some time. I'm, I, I'm hanging in there. Yeah. So Ed was in Denver with me two weeks ago cause we had to buy hats and do other stuff too. And <laughs> that was absolutely why we went to Denver. It was mostly, Mostly the hats. We and we we went to a cowboy store to buy hats. Did we talk about this on the show already? I don't think we did. We went to a cowboy Wait, store. Are we doing hat chat three? Because no, we're just talking about. Yeah. Uh, this we, is going to spin off into its own show. We're going to have a hat chat podcast. We went to a cowboy store to buy hats, and um, and uh, we. I had told my son that um, you know Ed my Ed's coming town, and my son calls Ed. 
um, Ed, Dad's partner, because we're partners in this business. <laughs> and he does not like me. But he doesn't. No. First of all, he doesn't. He's really loyal to uh, his mom, so he's not crazy about my partner. I guess is what it is. But yeah, so he just calls. He'll, he'll, he like goes to school and he says like, "Oh yeah, Dad's partner Ed is going to be in town today, and he's going to be taking me to buy a cowboy hat." And you know, so that. <laughs> He doesn't stay at the house anymore yeah. just that one time, and now he has to go to a hotel. Exactly. And, yeah. So the whole Paris school is praying for us, and also there's a new policy in the Archdiocese of Denver. I don't know if he can keep going to the school, but um, but so we had some meetings and stuff, and then after we had the meetings, we were going to go buy the hats. And so we went to my son's school, and I just like uh, I went in and just said like, uh, and it was like school was going to be out in like an hour or something, so it's not like he missed a lot of kindergarten or that it matters, but. Um, I went in and I just said, like, yeah, I, I just need to pick up my son. And they were like, why? And I was like, he has an appointment. And they were like, um, oh, your wife didn't say anything about it. And I, I, was, I was getting ready to say, like, yeah, and don't tell my wife about it. You know, like, <laughs> got, got my partner in the car. We're just going to buy a cowboy hat. This is totally normal, but I didn't Possibly clear with some her. chaps, too. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> So we went to a cowboy store that was very – it was pretty cowboyish and um, – No, it was too cowboyish. That yeah. was the problem is you took me to a working cowboy store. I took you to store. a working um, – like a working ranch – like we were basically the podcasters that went to a working farm store and, uh, you know, to buy props. And everybody knew it as soon as we walked in. And Somewhere between the feed and the saddles and the firearms, yeah, they had right. like – Two shelves yeah. of working man's hats. Yeah, and, and I had and I, and Ed was saying things like, "Oh, go pose by those saddles so I can take pictures of you for the internet." And all these cowboys were, you know. I, but at a certain point, you just had to steer into it. It's yeah, like, you have to be what you are. Um, and so we went, and um, they had a lot, a lot of very cool things. They had um, like horse blankets and bows and arrows, and I didn't know what ninety percent of it was, but it looked really authentic. Many I, many things, and like tack. They had tack. If I if I know what that is, they had tack. Tack like a. T- Tack, like for horses. Horses have ta- do horses have something called tack? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And if no, you're a I'm, cowboy, I'm asking. I don't does know. Does the stable have something called a tack room? Yes. Tack horse hardware. Horse hardware is oh, called okay. tack. All right, it's no, like I'm with the you. I'm uh, with you. Okay. thing and um, other things too. So we tried some hats on and then... We got them on Amazon like real cowboys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> My son wanted to get a cowboy belt and uh, so he went over to the little kids' cowboy belts and he picked out a girl cowboy belt and then... He had this meltdown in the store because I told him that it was a girl cowboy belt and he could pick from the boy cowboy belts. And my partner and I had to console him while he was crying about this pink sparkly belt. Which I think a lot of people thought was an odd place for you to draw the line in the yeah, circumstances. Right. This cowboy walks up and he's like, good for you guys. Congratulations. We're like, no, this is not what you think it is. We'll not have that girl's belt. Right. But we, we, then we bought our cats on Amazon, and uh, then you went to Rome. Uh, Ed broke a big story in Rome last week about um, Vatic- something about Vatican finance, but I don't know the details. It's all right. And Nobody then, read it. It's yeah. <laughs> and then, um, but it's important. And, uh, and then um, you came here. So you have basically been – oh, you did your mom's – you were in your mom's basement for last week and then for yeah. two days, and then you came here. So you've basically been in either a hotel or your mom's basement for the last two weeks. It's been weeks. a while. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. been a minute. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm nearly home. Yeah, because Ed lives like 10 minutes from here, but I make him stay in the hotel during the bishop's meeting so that we can do our work, and that's what it is. Yes, that's what it is, but I'm, I, I am glad. I mean, this is – you love the USCCB I do. Meeting. meetings, yeah. and I don't, I don't fully understand it, but you, you do. You get very, very animated. You <laughs> – you know you do like you're on a you're like on a high when you come out of the room and you've been live tweeting for three hours and I mean I don't read the tweets but I know that other people do and they they appreciate them and I know a lot of the bishops actually read them because they follow that instead of actually following what's being said from the podium and 
I mean, it's a service you're doing, but you you enjoy it. Like you're yeah, I really like the business meeting. I really like I like it's like a combination of um, ordinarily ridiculously low stakes, sort of mind numbing boredom, a weird bit of like parliamentary procedure. And um, then every so often the Bishop of Strickland just says something completely crazy and you get to write it down without judgment. You know, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much what it is. Um, okay, so uh, we have been at the Bishop's meeting and it was um, – was anybody – raise your hand if you're at the Bishop's meeting. Oh, actually, they can't hear you on the podcast. Make a noise if you're at the Bishop's meeting. Minority attendance. Not no, that many people. No, we're not going to do the laugh track. I didn't mean to do laugh track. I actually meant to do this one to make it sound like more people were at the Bishop's meeting. Please don't. Could that not be a thing to Okay, so a few people at the bishop's meeting. Um, it was, even for me who loves a bishop's meeting, probably the most um, boring bishop's meeting that we have ever been to. And we will talk about why. We're going to talk about why, but first we're going to talk about things that did happen. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, we did, there, it was boring in a good way in that there were, you know, no, no crises happened. At, yeah, at, right. At, at yeah. no point did a telegram arrive from the Holy See tanking half the agenda or you know. and like DiNardo so in 2018 uh, you know the bishops were supposed to vote on a thing a McCarrick thing and uh, then they got that note from Rome that said that they couldn't and DiNardo was just walking around like oh my god I don't know I mean just like he was he was like he, he looked like he to, wanted to rip his thumb yeah, off and light it like, like a he, cigarette yeah but. he went up to Steve White he's like Steve you gotta tell me what to do here it was just it was which is wise I mean he's Steve's a protege of George Weigel and a very important person in the church but um it wasn't that kind of meeting this time. No, it wasn't. It was there was ordinary business transacted. And I mean, exactly. we, okay, so there was the one thing that did happen that most people noticed was there was the the election of a new president and vice president, and that did or did not go exactly according to how you foresaw it. It didn't because you had strong opinions about how that election was going to go. I predicted the president. I did not predict the vice president. You predicted the president as a one and done election. I did. I predicted the president on the first ballot, and I was wrong about that. And so, did he get elected on the second ballot? No, did you predict that he would get elected on the third ballot? No, I you did. Didn't write I, a prediction. You didn't. I wrote predictions. I put my money where my mouth was, yes. so to speak. No, I I said on the podcast several times that I thought it was going to go to third round on both ballots, and it did. Oh, I don't usually listen to you on the podcast, but yeah. Um, okay, so what happened in the presidential election? So the bishops on Tuesday voted for a new president, and what, the president of the I think we should say the responsibility of the president of the conference is effectively. To preside over the meetings and then to sort of represent the conference in its both juridic affairs and as a matter of public relations. Is that fair? I, yes to the former. I don't know to the second. Like, is that actually his job? To, I mean, the, the, as near as I can tell, the bishop who sort of decided that his job was to be out in front as president of the concert, wasn't that Cardinal Dolan? Didn't he like Cardinal kind Dolan, of turn that into a... The, Cardinal Dolan is the Ronald Reagan of the bishop's conference in that... It was Cardinal Dolan who sort of created the imperial presidency of the of the bishops' conference, where he made himself effectively the primate of North America. Right, and, and arguably, well, because most countries, right? So, well, not most countries, but many Catholic countries have a sort of primate, one bishop who is the sort of um, bishop, the, the first among Inter-Paris. equals, yeah, the first among equals among them. And our primate, the primate of the United States, should be the Archbishop of Baltimore because Baltimore is the primatial see and those kinds of things. And maybe even, I don't, he might even have liturgical precedence, but he's, but he's not established as the primate of the United States. I don't no. think there's a canon law student over there. Who's given me a look that makes me think maybe he is named the primate of the United States, but I don't think he is father. No, it's, yeah, it, no, it is you. the, it is the first C. I don't think it is primatial. I mean, yeah. there are places like, I think Armagh in Ireland is the, is the primatial C and it is actually. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't so, think the, so the Archbishop of Armagh is the primate of all Ireland and there, and there are other countries that have primates too, but I don't know what they are right now. And, uh, and so, but Dolan was the one who sort of created, 
the USCCB presidency is effectively the primate of the United States and right. sort of like occupied it with the fullness of his large and, and gigantic personality and kind of, you know, you know, went on TV a lot and said things on behalf of the Right. Church. So my point is that that's not, I don't think, part of the, the written constitution of what the office of the president is, but it's become it's that. It's become sort of that thing. sort of thing. Yeah. It's become that sort of thing de facto. Um, but also, I mean, the, the thing that I think the two things that the bishop's conference president is supposed to do, really has to do, is, you know, chair the meetings, you know, represent it juridically and all that stuff. But also he's the face of the conference in Rome. Yeah, that's or right. Or at least he's mm-hmm. supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and he's the one who goes over and meets with the Holy Father and tells him what's going on and, you know, brings the sort of conference top brass and does the tour and all that. So that's that, that I think is the most important function. Like how much the president of the Bishops Conference is a is a forward-facing public figure. I think that pretty much depends on how the president wants, wants to, to play it. it. And they, you, you see different guys come at it with different ways. Some of them sort of shrink into the role and, you know, put the committee work forward and, you know, to, uh, and other guys sort of, you know, say, oh, I'm going to have my own communications team and, you know, yeah. sort of run it that way. Um, anyway, so, yeah, we had a new president and it was, a, it was a fun vote to watch. It was a very fun vote to watch. It was thrilling, scintillating. Well, I, I don't oversell yeah. it. So but the I mean, first ballot... Um, we were predicting Archbishop Brolio to win, and um, I thought that he might win on the first ballot, but he didn't. So to win, you need to get a majority of votes. So, you need, so in the Bishop's Conference, you need to get 119 votes to win. And on the first ballot, Archbishop Brolio got 73 votes, and then Archbishop Aachen, um, who we had talked about on the show as, as a sort of um, presumptive frontrunner of the concilium crowd, if you will, got 30 votes. And then the kind of, not precisely a surprise, but the other big sort of Bishop who kind of rose to prominence there was Archbishop Lori, yeah. who got 37 votes, right? So then they do another v- ballot, and Ber- Berlio gets very close to the line, but he doesn't get to it. He gets like 114 votes. And I, I don't know if you caught this, but when he got 114 votes, like the bishops like went, <gasps> collectively gasped that it was so close. They were like, we, we cannot believe this excitement. You know, like bishops, they stopped crushing candy for a minute, and they're like, something is happening, and I'm a part of it. <laughs> what was funny was the number of bishops who voted, I think, went down in each round. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Because many bishops stopped crushing candy and did that. But some bishops, they like cast their first vote for Broly. They're like, he's probably going to win. And then they went to the ice cream things outside, and that was it. So the number of bishops went, the number of bishops voting in each round did go down. So the second round, Broly comes very close, but he doesn't get it. And nobody's sort of like all that close to him. So Archbishop Aachen has, I don't know, 37, and Archbishop Lori has 45. So then it's going to be a runoff on the third ballot. Brolio versus Lori, Bro, you know, Brolio versus Lori, this is going to be a thing. And you had talked on the show a couple of weeks ago about why you thought Lori might have picked up the steam that he did. Yeah, and, I, and he... Do you want, to, rem, do you want I, to say that again? I don't want to, I, I don't want to say I told you so, but um, no, I mean, Archbishop Lori is in many ways, I think, has the same kind of street cred that Archbishop Vigneron had the last time around in that he's he's been around the conference a while, he's done a lot of committee work, he's done it very well, he's a known presence amongst the conference, all of that. And also he he's he's aged out. I mean that's that's the weird thing is he's he's being elected as so everyone knows that they're electing him as in electing him vice president or if they'd elected him as president that he was going to be a one term guy. He was going to be as vice president a bridesmaid but never the bride. And they've basically by electing Archbishop Laurie after Archbishop Vigneron, neither one of whom is eligible to be president when their term ends because you can't. You can't do it twice and you can't win. Well, it's that, but also if you turn 75 during your term or would turn 75 during your term, you can't, have, pres- it. You can't have it yeah. because then it puts the Pope basically in the position of saying, well, either I'm going to fire the USCCB president midterm 
Or and it's, I, ha- I mean, it's not like he's the bishop of a small diocese in Puerto Rico. No, exactly. Oh. What? Oh. Wow. I can't believe you said that. Um, okay, so... Uh, so, but what this, what this election has done is effectively it has ended... But you know what? This is probably the only room in America where a sufficient choir of people would know what that meant to be like, oh my God. Like, what I'm so glad you guys are here is because, like, we're among our own people that we can, we can just drop that kind of thing. And everyone's like, I cannot believe that he went too far. You know? That's not funny. Yeah. Exactly. The wounds are fresh. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Okay. So, um, okay. So, Lori comes in second place. Then they have the vice presidential election. And again, it goes to three ballots, right? Because Lori's support kind of fell back. Um, when it was time to elect the vice president, it wasn't like everybody who voted for Lori in the runoff kept with him. It kind of fell back. Why? Because there's probably a quorum of people who are voting for him because it would mean a fresh slate in three years and you can right. keep at it and keep at it, but, right? I mean, you also saw um, Bishop Kevin Rhodes, who I thought would put in a strong showing for vice president, and in the end he did. Yeah. Um, he got a huge surge of support, but that was all the guys who've been voting for Brolio. Who were voting for Brolio, who dropped off and started voting for Rhodes. But they kind of split it out. They vote for Rhodes a little bit. They've, some of them probably voted for Flores. Some of them probably voted, you know, kind of around the horn. So they probably spread it out a little bit. But you go to the second ballot, and that's where it's like Laurie and Rhodes are picking up most of the steam. Yeah, and then it went to, you know, the runoff. And, and again, all the guys who I think were voting for Archbishop H and, and Garcia, right, yeah. yeah. They all gravitated to Laurie in the end, and it got him over the line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I think he will do a good job as vice president. I I think he's well-suited to the role. I think it's – I mean, in, in, in a sense, I think it's a shame that he's he won't be eligible to be president next time. I think it would be nice for someone who's going to do the term as VP to at least have the chance to put his hat in the ring if he wants. And I think it's a shame that um, that tradition that – the bishops have developed of, you know, the VP is the presumptive president next time around. I think that brought a little bit of stability and took some of the drama out yeah. of out of the whole thing, and that's gone now. Do you think that's dead now? I mean, do you I do. think... I, I don't see it coming back, right? No, yeah. I, I don't think it's possible. I mean, you, you have... So, for example, because Brolio was the conference secretary, and he was the VP runner-up last time, and then they made him secretary. Right. There was the chance that that could kind of emerge, but um, they didn't make the, the VP runner-up Bishop Rhodes, secretary. the secretary, they elected someone completely different. They elected Archbishop Coakley. Yes, they did. And I, yeah, I just, I think that that whole, not conveyor belt, but that whole sort of way of doing things that they've been very used to, I think is gone. And I think the conferences, the, the interesting thing about this to me, this election to me was not who won. I mean, that's what's going to have the longest lasting effect, but how, how deep into both rounds the field stayed pretty evenly yeah. divided mm-hmm. it wasn't a, it wasn't a runoff from the first ballot like there were a lot of guys with a lot of different support and i think there there is no conference supermajority anymore there is no conference consensus anymore and there has been in yeah. the last long time that manifested a, a very clear we're a conference supermajority manifested with the election of dolan you know yeah. because that back then they were kind of going you know left right left right so to speak and then dolan kind of stepped out of turn and there was a huge group of bishops who made that happen and supported that. And then those guys ran the table from here until now. Yeah. Now, it's not like they're, the guys who would sort of fit into that camp didn't get elected. But the way that it unfolded is just... Well, I but think they didn't different. even... Even that, the, even though you could say that the supermajority that started with Dolan, um, they, they aren't even a coherent group anymore. Because you saw guys like Bishop Flores, Archbishop Corleone, guys like that carrying not huge numbers, but some numbers, mm-hmm. more yeah. than a dozen votes into deep into like people were not saying, oh, yeah, we're just going to fly the flag for the guy. Everybody knows. Who we're we're, yeah. Right. No, mm-hmm. yeah, that, big, that's gone. And yeah. I don't think you can bring that back. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And I think it, I think it's going to be healthy for the presidency. I think it will make it um, 
much more of a sort of prime ministerial role than an executive presidency. I think that Archbishop Brolio is going to end up reflecting in how he presents the conference in a very different way than he would if he just crushed it on the first ballot. And it's like, yeah, I'm the guy. So, you know, I'm going to say what I like and whatever. I think he's going to be much more deeply attuned to the nuances of, I mean, he's not, he's not a continuity candidate. He's a compromise candidate. And I think he's probably going to end up reflecting that in how he speaks. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I also think though, that he is part of a shift that's happening in the conference towards a lot more just internal focus, right? So a critical difference, I think, between Brolio's presidency and Gomez's will be that in Gomez's presidency, there was a lot of things happening, obviously, but the central thrust of most of it was how is the church going to engage with you know, political leaders? How, what, is the church, what are the bishops going to say about political issues, those kinds of things? I don't think that that's going to be the place where the, the, the conference is going to spend its time over the next three years for a bunch of reasons. Um, but all the things that they're doing is to kind of show actually what we're sort of focusing on right now are ecclesial things. I, I hope you're right. I don't know that that will be true. And I don't think it will be because Broly will necessarily have an agenda that says he wants to do that. Yeah. I just don't think people will let him get away with it. Like his first press conference as president-elect, like all half of the questions were, what are you going to do about Biden? What yeah. are you going to do about that? I think people are used to the idea of the conference president should have something to say about frontline politics, should have something to say about top strap culture war issues and, and things like that. I don't. I just don't think people are going to give him the space to be like, no, I'm running the conference. That's the job. That could be. But part of what's happening at the conference right now is a shift that makes it more boring, which is um, a shift from a lot of public engagement in public to a lot of private engagement and a lot of talk about fraternity and then like these goofy things like the bishops used to sit at long vertical tables and now they sit at circle tables because it's supposed to make them feel more like friends. Even okay, though, I have a question about that. Yes. It may be better. I, I think, I think it better. is. No, I think it's better. But it's like when you walked in, it kind of felt goofy because it was like, oh, what, it's what like, lunch table are you what, on? Yeah, one, what lunch table are you at? And two, it's like what is being done here is so transparently obvious. You know what I mean? It's like. Um, but were they were they assigned seats or did no, they? No, they weren't assigned seats. So okay. it did not shuffle the only... deck for people to become friends with people they weren't friends with before. I wasn't everyone sure. Everyone just everyone sat with their friends, and then there was one table of people who don't talk that much. The at island all. of Mr. <laughs> toys. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Every and, wedding has that table. Yeah. Right. And like what they had in common was a solid commitment not to make eye contact with each other under any circumstances <laughs> whatsoever. So that was a weird table. Um, but I, my point is that the kind of fraternal dialogue things, which we'll talk about in a minute, those things I'll say the conference is trying to do a lot of things right now that are focused on ecclesiality and things connected to ecclesial life. They're going to have to. I yeah. mean, they're going to be talking about the synod for most of the next three years. No matter yeah. what. Okay. So committee elections. So um, because Brolio was elected, the conference had to elect a new secretary. Um, so the way that works is um, – so. You know, Brolio was elected. They have to pick a secretary. The Committee on Plans and Priorities is, I think we talked about this last show, the most powerful, un, uh, mis, you know, ununderstood, unappreciated, under-the-radar thing in the conference because the Committee on Priorities and Plans picks the candidates for all the things that matter. Yeah. And so the Committee on Priorities and Plans went into a room together, um, lit up some cigars, and came up with two candidates. Archbishop Coakley, who had been getting you know a fair number of votes and who I thought was probably going to win the vice presidency, and then Cardinal Tobin. And... Um, I asked Archbishop Brolio today, I interviewed him today, I'll probably write about this in the next couple of days, but I asked him, you know, Archbishop Brolio is sort of rather decidedly kind of, um, you put him in the sort of conservative, the, if you want to put in the Eucharistic coherence framework, Archbishop Coakley was like decidedly pro-Eucharistic coherence document, and Cardinal Tobin was like decidedly not pro 
anti-Eucharistic coherence argument. He spoke out against it. <laughs> Are you suggesting that Cardinal Hu was for Eucharistic incoherence? I'm is not it? suggesting that. If that's the conclusion that you're drawing, I really don't know why, but it's not something that I've suggested in any way. Okay. So Every time you, you do is, that, I die a little however inside. However you want to frame it, you get, a, you get a communio guy, a concilium guy. If you want to say you get a conservative and a liberal, if you want to say you get a Eucharistic coherence guy and a guy who didn't want to do the document, however you want to frame it, you get two people who clearly represent different camps in the conference. Yes. And so that, that I was fascinated by that because the same thing happened with the committee for, on the chair for pro-life activities where the committee on parents and priorities had to very quickly get two candidates because Archbishop Lori, who was pro-life chair, got elected to be vice president. So I asked Archbishop Prolio, I said, did you guys basically pick two people who represent different camps? And, uh, and he explained to me that what they actually do is they go back and they look at who was nominated last time to be secretary. Because they do a lot of consulting with the bishops from different regions about who do you think should be on the ballot, blah, blah, blah. And so they go back and they look at what people had suggested in the past. And then they go back and they look at um, who had run before. And they sort of do a lot. And then he told me that the tricky part is, he said, oftentimes when we're filling these positions, we have to go to three or four or five guys before someone will say yes. And so, like, all of the conjecture that, like, um, they, they're just trying to set up two people who are decidedly token-esques of, of different camps, maybe, except he, he was, like, um, adamant. He was kind of, like, laughing about the difficulty of the process and saying, like, we have, to, we have to keep going to guys and guys and guys and guys. So Kind of like they have to keep going like to guys. Kind of like they have to keep going to guys to be bishops, which I said to him. And he said, well, that's not my job. <laughs> um, but... Uh, but it is nevertheless true. But I said to him, look, it's very obvious that you had two different camps represented here. You can count to two. You can see that. And he said, yeah, well, the reason for that is because of the makeup of the Plans and Priorities Committee, that every region selects a, selects a representative, and some regions select representatives that would fall more in that communio world, and some select more that would fit in that concilium world. And that points to me to the sort of um, breakdown of the supermajority in the conference, right? right. It, you know, it's not like, oh, well, we have a consensus in this thing, which is regionally representative enough to be able to do kind of what we want, but that those things are divided. The Electoral College, if you will, yeah. is divided. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I also think, and I, I said this before, and I stand by it, that I think not, it, it's not the reason everyone who voted for Archbishop Lori voted for him, and I, I don't know that I go as far as it's the reason half of the people who voted for Archbishop Lori voted for him, but enough to carry him over the line, for sure voted for him because they wanted a clean sweep election next time. Yeah. That they wanted to elect a president and a vice president in three years without the mm-hmm. air presumptive of a right. VP. And I don't think there's any reason you do that unless you're expecting the makeup of the conference to change in the next three years. Yeah, I think that's right. But what's funny is there's, what, 25 to 30 bishops who, by rights, should be replaced between now and then. Yeah, there are 10 bishops over 75 and then another 20 that are going to be over 75 yeah. before them. Yeah. So, yeah, about 30 bishops, which is, you know, more or less the margin of election for a lot of these yeah, things, right. um, are expected to turn over in the next three years. And I don't know how they're going to do that, because the reason we've got two vacant dioceses in this country right now, plus the other 10 who are already superannuated and haven't been replaced, is because they can't find guys to be bishops. And they can't find guys to be bishops for everyone. These two priests in the back of the room, by the way, every time you say that, they're like kind of put their hand up a little bit. They're like, I'm going oh. to... Oh. Now, no, now they're like, no, I would never. Oh, no, gosh, no, I would never. But I mean, if they asked, I mean, I would... <laughs> I would have to consider serving, but no, I would never wish to. No, you came to the Pillar Podcast, and Nuncio is not calling you to become a bishop, I will tell you that. <laughs> That's not to say that Nuncio won't be calling you, but it won't be to make you a bishop. <laughs> what do you think you're doing? Okay. <laughs> no, uh, but uh, again, there's from everyone that I talk to in the dicastery for bishops, where people do still occasionally talk to us when you know they take the thumbscrews off them long enough, um, they... 
the feedback was the same, which is uh, a quarter to a third of the guys we ask say no. Mm-hmm, and right. we are fishing in a tiny, tiny pond because the Americans on the diecaster, the American members of the diecastery, there are three American cardinals on it. There are two who are American diocesan bishops, which are Cardinal Tobin and Cardinal Supich. They all said the same thing, which is, yeah, we've been like told there's, you know, there are informal but extremely strict criteria. Like, don't propose a guy who we're going to find on YouTube giving a pro-life homily about around election time. Do you know that there hasn't been an appointment of a bishop in the a diocesan bishop in the United States since the summer break? Since yeah, uh, yeah, something August, like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and but the, my point is that can't go on. Right. There's not a new cadre of priests who meet that criteria that are suddenly going to come online in the next three years who are all going to be like, yes, I will be a bishop. Thank you very much. The They're either going to have to loosen the criteria. They're going to have to start fishing in a different pool um, if they're going to get the kind of trend that they want. And if they do that, I don't think the conference is going to move necessarily in all the demographic directions of the people who voted for Archbishop Lori just to have a clean sweep right. election next time are expecting it to. I just don't think that... I, I, demographics are destiny in the conference, the same as they are everyone else. I just don't think the destiny is as clear as a lot of people think it is. I think you're right about that. The, the thing that you're not looking at is that it's, it's most likely the case that the, in one way or another, the sort of landscape and fault lines of politics in the church will have changed dramatically in three years anyway, because you'd have to imagine there's a 50-50 chance that we have a new pope within three years, and then that changes everything anyway. Or will it? Well, I'm sure. I, I, I don't know. I, I no. I'm I'm being serious when I say or will it because you th- okay. Let's put it this way: round numbers. There's a fifty fifty shot that you get a pope who is more or less Francis too. That mm. that's that's what the conclave wants. That's what it returns. And say so the other fifty percent is you get a, a, a pendulum swing election. Yeah. To get different cut. Either way, incoming popes tend to pretty much leave everyone intact for the balance oh, sure, of their yeah, terms. Sure. So I I don't think that you're going to see turnover at the dicastery for bishops. In no, I don't think you're going to see the turnover. I don't think the turnover coming out are going to be that different. No, I don't think you are. But I think the pope, the, whoever the pope is, will have a honeymoon period that changes the way that people are talking about certain things and the way that people are relating to certain things. Oh, I mean, this is back to your no one's going to talk about the buzzwords are all going to change and we're going to have a different. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so what we have done now is talk about the first thing on our list of five things that we were going to talk about. We are doing really well. And we have exceeded the amount of time that we said we were going to have a substantive conversation. So should we have five no more, more minutes, substantive conversation? Should we have five more minutes of a substantive conversation or should we play a game? game. <laughs> Every single person is like, if you guys keep talking about that, I'm leaving. Um, That's totally fair. Yeah, okay. The only thing I did... <laughs> too bad. This is our show. The only thing I did want to say... Uh, the only thing I did want to say is um, the most dramatic change at the conference this year was not about the was not about the elections. Okay, fine. There's a new president, but the most dramatic change at the conference this year was a total structural change of what the conference does. And we did want to have that conversation for a minute because I think this is an important like yeah. theological and juridical point to think about the life. No, of the it's church. because you got what you wanted, and you want to tell everyone. I have been saying for a long time that bishops do not talk to each other when there are TV cameras in for, in the room. That they talk to TV cameras, and even today and yesterday, you saw the same. You saw mostly bishops stand up to say the same sort of performative things that they often say. And so, what did the conference do? So on Monday, they had a mass in the morning and then a kind of prayer session in the afternoon with these fraternal groups. And fraternal groups means they shuffled the deck of bishops and they put every bishop in a room with like 10 guys and they gave them some topics for discussion. And the point was to just get people talking to each other and to have some engagement with people who they don't ordinarily talk to outside of their friendship. And uh, and so they did that yesterday and then they did it on a Monday. Then on Tuesday they had executive session in the morning where they talked about some of the things that were going to be on the agenda and the idea was because bishops aren't free to talk with each other, you know, in, in the context of um, the meeting, at the, the public meeting, um, we're going to just kind of have 
open mic sessions about some of the things on the agenda. And the bishops did that. And by all accounts, I'm told that actually led to fruitful and productive conversations. Yeah, no, they loved it. The same way that last year they did a lot of stuff in an executive session. Um, and, you know, they came up with a Eucharistic coherence document that was nearly, you know, passed with unanimous consent after they had all been fighting about it in public. Like the executive session works for getting things done. And, yeah. And then, and then today they had the morning part of the meeting and then they took a break to have fraternal groups to talk about faithful citizenship, which was about to be on the agenda. And the bishops broke up into groups of about 15, went into all kinds of rooms, talked about faithful citizenship for an hour, had lunch, came back, and then had a very short conversation about faithful citizenship. Right. And you talked to Bishop Reed, who's the chair of the Communications Committee, about this today. And he said, yeah, well, yeah, this is, we're trying this out to see if it's better for the governance of the church. And I think it could be. Uh, well, um, he didn't even say governance of the church. Th- this is interesting. I mean, he said to me, he said he's been a bishop for six years now. And when he first started coming to the conference, he said it was really frustrating because, you you know, you sat at the long tables. You pushed a button when mm-hmm. you were told to. You stuck your hand up if you really wanted to say something. But basically, you just sat there and listened to the reports. And that yeah. was it. And now that they've moved more stuff to executive session, there's a lot more free-flowing conversation. Now that there is this, you know, fraternity yeah. sessions, whatever, he said he thought that was going to be really hokey, but he signed up for it. And it's going to be really helpful because he's meeting bishops that he's not otherwise met from different parts of the country, that it is actually making a difference. And I get that. And it is hellaciously boring if you come to the conference to watch the drama and you want or, to... Or even just to know what bishops are thinking, right? Yes. Because the best prediction that we can make about the conference is what it will be is... Lots of discussions among small groups of bishops about issues and then allusions to those discussions in a short bit of conversation among the sort of usual bishops who stand up a lot before a vote in which people have already sort of said what they had to say and feel about it. So that means that the discussion, the sort of interesting substantive discussion about things in as much as it's happening is happening somewhere else. And maybe that means much better discussion. But what's not taken off the agenda are the countless ad nauseum presentations of it's like, now we're going to talk to you for 55 minutes, Bishop, about this, bishops, about this one program that my area of the conference oversees. And in fact, there are more of these kinds of long infomercial elements of the thing. So the one thing we can predict is the public sessions of the meeting, even while business itself is still, the voting part of business is still getting done in public, the, um, the conference is just going to become, I think, unless they decide to change it, because a lot of bishops, I don't think we're crazy about that, just a lot of these one after another, now presentation on this thing, now presentation right. on that thing, now presentation on that thing. But oh no! <laughs> this does have? not end well. What do you have? This is a bucket of Jello shots. That <laughs> make that man a fireman. <laughs> he doesn't know why I said that. Me thinks it's weird. You want green or orange, big boy? Uh, de- I definitely want green. Continue talking can we the, get this can, over with so I can go talk about the law for a minute? You... <laughs> so I went to Steubenville, so I don't know how to do this. <laughs> I don't really. I, I always imagine they'd pour easier. No. Yeah, no. I have to put my fingers in it? We're, ter- we're terrible at this. I'll bet at the bishop's conference all week. I'm not putting my fingers in something to eat. <laughs> This is not bad, actually. I can... This is going to get interesting. How many are there? How many are there? More. There are, are there more. <laughs> there are more. All right, we're going to give a Jello shot to uh, to. Um... No, no, no. This is gonna, we're going to work the Jello shots into the games. 
Okay, that's yeah, we're gonna, we're when gonna, I disagree okay. with your answer, you're going to do a jello shot. Okay. Um, okay. So the point that Bishop Reed made is that the conference is. We tend to we have this a sense that the conference is for us and for us to be able to see what's happening in the life of the church. And you and I think that public accountability in the life of the church is really important and transparency and these kinds of things. But it's true that the conference is for the bishops to come together to figure out how they can best collaborate in ministry. And if this is the way that they can do that. There's nothing bad about it. I mean, I no, think that that it was is good. unquestionably good for the bishops as bishops. And this is something Bishop Reed told me. Yeah. Is he said he is mu- he is getting much more out of the conference meetings. Not in the sense of he's enjoying them or he's finding them less tedious. All of that too. But he said he is meeting bishops and talking to them and having proper fraternal conversations that make his ministry when he goes home more fruitful. And that is important and that is what the conference is for. However, we have – Seen in the last couple of weeks, for example, the report that came out of Catholic U on the yeah, attitudes of yeah. the bishops and the priests, two of the, the principal authors of which are Steve in the room tonight. White and Sarah Perla wrote that report. Stand up. Round guys. of applause. Yeah. That, was, that was real work. Oh, sorry. That was not the button that I meant to press. Nope. <laughs> nope. Not with your hands full. Sarah Pearlie did great. Anyway. Oh, guys, if the jello shot goes on the floor, then this is a dive bar. What did you want to say? What I was going to say is it is unquestionably better for the bishops in their ministry to have these kind of closures. But when you're yeah. dealing with something like the survey that came out of Catholic U that showed this enormous gulf of trust right. between their own clergy and the bishops and the reasons for that. I've talked to a lot of bishops. I've talked to a lot of bishops the last few days and asked them if they'd read the report. They all said, yes, I absolutely read it. It was heartbreaking. It was a hard read. It was difficult to get through. It stayed with me. It's keeping me up nights. It's all we're talking about, all this stuff. But they're not talking about it in public. And here's the thing. It, it, yes, the conference is about bishops talking to bishops and bishops helping each other and supporting the ministry. The bishops' conference is fundamentally a trade union before it is a, mm, yeah, right. an external a showcase body. thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Don't disagree with that. But the problem is... That doesn't bleed through to their clergy. Right. If, the, if there is a crisis of confidence in the American presbyterate, in the bishops as a whole and individually, and they don't see these bishops having these conversations, they don't know that they're being, they're being no, heard. No, I think that's right. And so that's why – okay, first of all, I don't agree with – I have not heard bishops say we're reading it, we're thinking about it, we're reading about it. These days, every time I talk to a priest, he wants to talk to me about the survey – and he's like, oh, you're that pillar guy. Boy, did you see that survey? And then every time I talk to a bishop, he's like, oh, you're that pillar guy. Well, except for maybe certain Midwestern cardinals, he's like, oh, you're that pillar guy. Um, uh, boy, how about all that heresy in Germany? You know, like bishops just want to talk to me about uh, these other external church things, and priests are clearly feeling and experiencing the survey in the conversations that I'm having. So I don't agree with you about that, but I do agree that it was not being talked about. So so then what has to be done? So well, what has, there has to be a way for them to communicate that externally and it's not i mean part of it is sure bishops going home and doing the work themselves to rebuild trust with their own clergy absolutely but when there is and there was authors reports authors correct me if i'm wrong a clear disparity between there was there was a real problem of trust between bishops or between priests and their own bishops but there was a A much much bigger bigger problem problem, yeah in between priests and the bishops as a whole and they have to address that trust gap as bishops as a whole the way you do that is show them behaving in a fraternal way modeling Good dialogue, mm-hmm. modeling, listening, modeling, actually processing what they have been told in all of this. And you can't do that through executive session. Yeah, that's right. That is a long-term drawback for this. So, okay, so we went to something today, a uh, kind of, um, so the conference used to have press conferences and we didn't get called on. Um, this is strong, year. man. No, I know, I'm like pretty lit. Um, 
Um, Catherine Hager was like, well, you obviously did not go to Florida State because you had one jello shot and you have forgotten how to read. Um, okay, so um, we went to something today where... Uh, so the conference used to have these press conferences... Keep talking about the conference. It's never been so interesting to me. Just slow it down. <laughs> All right, forget it. Would you like to play a game? Yes. Yeah, okay. This guy is very excited to play a game. What's that? Yeah, exactly. Well, we're getting to this the good stuff. This is his Super Bowl. You don't understand. All right. Like, okay, I, I don't... You made the game. Did you make the game? Because I said to you today... I made several games. Or okay. I made two games. I made a greater or lesser, and I made a yes or no. Um, does anyone... First, does anyone have any questions about the conference? No. Okay. Does anyone have any questions about... Where's Fifi? Where's Fifi? We found okay. Fifi. We found Fifi. Fifi was moved to a side altar Fifi was in moved the hotel. To a, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, she has her own chapel... Fifi was moved to this little, like, luggage room that they have. And then I was talking to these guys yesterday, and I was trying to get these... Um, we did shoe leather reporting on this. I don't yeah, want I you to think we didn't care. I was trying to get these care. hotel staffers to tell me about it. And I, like, was, I really wanted them to tell me about it, you know? So they were just like, oh, we had to move from, uh, for Thanksgiving. And I was like, they were out there on their break having their cigarette, and I went out where they were, and I was talking to them and stuff. And they're like, oh, we had to move it because we had to put up these Thanksgiving decorations. And I was like, oh... I figured maybe it was that religious group in here because I was hoping I'd really get them going, you know, like, yeah, we had to move Fifi because of, the, because of what, you know, the, that religious group came and told us. I would have been like, yeah. Have you heard about Jesus? But they didn't, um, <laughs> they didn't say that. They, they, so I don't know if, I don't know if, I, it's going to become my white whale to find out if the conference moved that damn dog. I know it. I should not have had a jello shot because I'm like going to start making comments about the personal disposition of individual cardinals. No, as a body, the cardinals do not have no in the conference. No, no. If a cardinal stands up and says blah 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 or something cogent, even it's not like the bishop. <laughs> but if a cardinal stands up and says, you know, I think we should um, whatever it is that he would say, um, it's not like the rest of the. We should ensure like, that arms exports to yeah, Ukraine continue. It's not like all the other bishops are like, um, oh wow, well if the cardinal said it, it must be wise or true or good or beautiful. They don't get a double vote when they. Yeah, they do don't the get ballots. an extra vote, and they don't. They're not. It, now there are cardinals to be sure who are able to to, to um, influence committee processes. So most of the work in the conference gets done in committees anyway, and there are cardinals who are able to exercise the committee processes, and maybe we'll do some reporting on that in the next couple of days if I can get some people to confirm some things, but. Um, there are cardinals, to be sure, who are able to exercise influence committee processes. Why? Because it is true that cardinals work at the Congregation for Bishops. It is true that cardinals um, are the are the metropolitans, are, you know, ha- in any number of ways can make a bishop's life easier or, or more difficult, better or worse in certain ways, depending on what you, how you judge those criteria. Um, so at the committee process, yes, but if a cardinal stands up in just the ordinary discussion and says something, it's not really going to carry the day because he said it, Yeah. Good question. In fact, it might it, it might turn the body of bishops off, depending on the cardinal and whether they feel he's trying to talk over the the thoughts of the conference as a whole. Yeah, I think that could. I, very I've well seen that be. happen. I, I have seen it as well. And it's not insignificant that you know it was surprising. A lot of bishops said to me today that they were surprised that priorities and plans had a cardinal run against an archbishop for secretary because they said um, you know we were surprised that they were unevenly matched. Um, you know, so it was Bishop Burbage and B- Bishop McKnight who ran for pro life committee, but. It was a, it was Cardinal Tobin and and, and um, Archbishop Coakley, yeah, Coakley who who ran um, for secretary and and a lot of bishops I don't know if they came up to you and said we were surprised that they were unevenly matched but clearly didn't influence the vote it's not like people were like well we better vote for a cardinal yeah um, yeah mm-hmm. all right so we have two games you you can you can choose or you can you can the, I'm gonna the, I'm gonna ask the audience okay but to be clear there there's a there's a fairly benign Baltimore greater or lesser okay and then there's a fairly politically incorrect. 
USCCP themed yes or no. And we're, are we going to play them both? Well, we can. I mean, as long as everyone promises to take it in good fun. <laughs> okay. Well, why don't we play Baltimore? Why don't we play the benign one? Give me a jello shot and we'll play the benign one. Right. And then, we'll, then I'm going to get warmed up. Line them up, pony boy. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, rank for me, if you would, please. Everyone is more or less familiar with the premise. Is everyone of here? Who, raise your hand if you're from Baltimore. That didn't work. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, ma- oh, I forgot. But you can't raise your hand on the podcast. You have to say something. Say something yeah. if you're from Baltimore. Yeah. Say like the wire. It's not like our town. We listen to cereal. Other things about Baltimore. All right. Cal Ripken. All right. So, so a couple of bishops said they were going to try and come tonight, and I said, "Yeah, you can. That's fine. You don't worry. We're running." I just got a message from one that says, "It's not looking good. The Hispanic bishops have a mariachi band." <laughs> we're still in our meeting. So that's the only thing that wasn't boring. Could. He- this is Ed. not cool. Like a, a mariachi band in executive session, really? Yeah. Like now, we can't have that. Everything we just said, this is clericalism and bullshit. We want to yeah. see the mariachi band. Ed, would you please do anything you can to get the mariachi band to come to yes. the thing? Okay, but I'm going to try and like swap them a jacket. You for know the what hoodie. it is? We should have bought the jackets. If we had bought the jackets, if you had let come. me buy pillar mariachi jackets, we would not have I, this problem. I don't even exactly know what that is. Neither I just, do I, but I want one. I'm pretty sure we would not be flattering on my figure. It'd be like Antonio Banderas in that movie. See, not okay. Yeah. Okay. So rank for me, please. Baltimore greater or lesser? And again, you can you can Did obviously go. You're not going to do this in a dignified way. So just you know. <laughs> The descriptions of what I'm supposed to do. They make you can hold your hat in front of your face while you do it. Excuse me. It's like a Japanese tea ceremony. You just... Wow, that was... Wow. You told me to no, put it in my tongue and twist. I have a straw. That's... Oh, there you go. This is also not dignified at all, but you know, it's a little bit. It's like so. It's like oysters. The poor, it's the poor man's oyster is what you're telling me. Rich man's the oysters. Florida State oyster. <laughs> Will you stop bragging on Florida State? I know. I'm sorry, Mrs. If you're going to make fun of a Florida university, make fun of Miami. Is that, is that even your college? Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I think that, Jeez, is that Ben Sass's college as well? No. Oh, okay. Well, see. Okay. All right. All right. So, yeah, rank for me, please. Good, better, best, or worse, worse, and worse. Um, Baltimore sports teams. The Stallions, the Terrapins, and the Colts. Uh, Terrapins are the University of Maryland? No. Okay, because that's not in this town. No, they're not a Baltimore team. They, the, the, the University of Maryland's in Washington, well, D.C., effectively. It's in yes, College Park. Park. Okay. Um, no, the Terrapins were a two-season Federal League baseball team in the 40s, obviously. Okay. Why you don't know that is beyond me. And the Colts are the Baltimore Colts of uh, the Kruka guy? Uh, the Colts are the Johnny, Johnny United. United used Stallion. to be an NFL team, then they left. And then what was the other thing? Uh, the Stallions, which are... I don't want to say the word Stallion because I was just doing... I was just eating that jello shot in a very crude manner. And I just don't feel comfortable. The stallions are the, are the local Canadian football okay, league stallions, team. Okay, Stallions... Stallions... No longer. No longer. I mean, they, no longer. they're defunct. They left in the 90s or something. Because stallions, obviously the people of Baltimore revolted at the idea of having Col- a Canadian is a, football is team. This a, is this a horse town? That's two horse teams. Are you just called Baltimore two horse town? What is wrong no, with you? I'm trying to understand why they have all these horse names. It's, 
Spur Town? What's the Preakness? Maryland is a horse state. Oh. Your state sport is the state sport really jousting? Wow, that's the most. Why the hell isn't that on my bumper, my license plate? What? I've got a flag. What? I, I, our our state sport is jousting. Is totally like that's right up there with live free or die. Like, if I force my kid to do a lot of jousting, can I get him into an Ivy League school? Like, no, but you that... can get him into a, you can get him in state tuition at Maryland. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, ter- um, ho- horses, colts, stallions. Terrapins. But the thing about this one, Ed, is that no one has opinions on it because it's like a bunch of teams that no one's heard of. No, you, you, you obviously you would say the Terrapins are the best because it's the baseball team. Then it goes the Stallions because... Canadian football team's cool. No, but because they, they went defunct, they didn't leave the city, and the Colts are the worst because they deserted town. Oh, yeah, okay. Bad Colts. Am I wrong? Is that, is that not the correct way? Yeah. So, shot. I don't understand why you always get to be the favorite. A man of the people. No, you're not. You're the green one. I did. I didn't finish the green one. This, this is just a There's dreb. There's so much left. <laughs> she didn't see any green. My wife does not listen to this show, and thank God because when she's calling me later and asking why I'm not driving home tonight but staying an extra night, I won't have to explain and, it's Jello shots. And what I'm going to have to explain to my wife when I call later, and she's going to be like, "Oh, I thought you were going to call earlier," and I'm going to be like, "Yeah, well, I was working really hard, and that <laughs> means this. You know, gotta." Yeah. Got to pay that mortgage. All right. Uh, rank for me, please, J.D. Uh, newspapers. The Sentinel, The Sun, and The Morning Herald. Uh, Baltimore Sun because it exists, and I don't know about the other ones. Uh, well, they, they used to exist. The Morning Herald was where H.L. Mencken got his start. Oh, wow. That's neat. Yeah. So you're just not going to – you're just going to pass on that one. Sun, Morning Herald, and the other thing he said. I'm kind of having the jello thing now. Okay. <laughs> All right. This one you might want to seek wider crowd approval on. I probably won't. I don't know, but this is okay. So this is um, these are these are TV or movies set in Baltimore. The Wire, obviously, Enemy of the State, and Step Up. <laughs> okay, so I think the order, but I'll let I'll let you correct me. I think the order is The Wire, Step Up, Enemy of the State. Wait, is that ascending or descending? The best thing is The Wire, followed by Step Up, followed by Enemy of the State. Yeah. No, I, Steve White doesn't agree, but you live in Virginia, so this is not for you. First of all, Enemy of the State is a fantastic movie. Do Baltimoreans movie. agree that The Wire is the best possible depiction of their city? Okay, I'm going with that lady. Give, give that lady my jello shot. How many are there? Lots. There, there are a lot. There's a lot more jello shotting that's going to happen tonight. Okay, what's next? Uh, I'm, I'm still kind of surprised. I thought Step Up would play better there. Um, okay, uh, Crab Cakes, Natty Bow, and Snowballs. A, what's a snowball? It's like, the, it like the shaved ice. No, it's the shaved <laughs> ice with the... E numbers. Oh, no. um, it's a snow cone with sweet milk. <laughs> I just changed JD's world. A snow cone with sweet. Can can we get them now? Are they around here? <laughs> Do they make those in Jello shot form? <laughs> snow cone. Um, uh, um, but is there sweetened condensed milk? Yeah. So are you from the county? Or are you f- no, you're from Ellicott City. That's not even no, Baltimore, sir. I don't think. Is that Baltimore? No. Okay, that's not Baltimore, sir. Um, but you're from Baltimore. You live three blocks from here. Yeah, you don't want me to say three blocks because someone will follow you home. You're like, you don't know these people. You're not from here, but you live here. And here in Canton. Is this called Canton, this area? Yeah. Fells Point. Here, so they, these people are Baltimore. So I'm going with them. Snowball. Then what do I say? That is 
Natty Bo, and then the other thing. Crab cakes crab are cakes. garbage. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, that's fine. I'm allergic to shellfish. I'm allowed to say crab cakes are garbage. It's a fact. All right, what do we got next? Now we got now we got a, a USCCB themed game. Oh, now we're playing a USCCB themed game. Okay, that's this, insane. All right. I I would like everyone to just this is a disclaimer. This is all in good fun. So anyone who might feel inclined to get offended, just don't. Have a jello shot and chill out. We're all amongst friends here. This game is called USCCB Document or Christian Pop Song. I love it because I I like I know a lot of Christian pop songs and USCCB documents. Yes, so I'm going to I'm going to give you and I've uh, had all these jellos now. The, I'm going to give you a title and you're going to tell me whether this is in fact a USCCB document or a Christian rock song. Okay, but before we do, I forgot to introduce our uh, contributing editor of Brennan and Hodge. So I, I'm uh. slurring. I realize now. Um, <laughs> if uh, if you guys like to read our data reporting with our graphs and whatnot, um, Brendan Hodge is the guy who does all of the things. So Brendan is amazing. And if you guys. Um, if you guys like anything at Wendy's, Brendan probably made it cost more because Brendan used to be the head of pricing at Wendy's. Now he's the head of pricing at like an industrial diamond mining company or something, so it doesn't matter what he does. We're not buying it anyway. But uh, it matters what you do, but I mean, these people are not mad the way they are about the, the Wendy stuff. They're not mad about the, like they are about the 99 cent junior bacon cheeseburger. Yeah, exactly. R.I.P. Brendan is working right now on some very cool stuff that we'll probably maybe put out tomorrow. I don't know, but it's uh, he's, doing, he's doing this... Uh, Co- what is it called? Coding group? It's a visual charting of the language usage of the different synodal report documents from dioceses, regions, different countries, and obviously the national and international synthesis documents charting who's talking about what and which and in documents what ways. are. It's very... And which documents actually sound and look like each other and which ones don't at all. Yeah, it's like boop, 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 boop. Okay. It's very cool. <laughs> okay. Are you ready, JD? Yes. Created anew. Created it. <laughs> Is this a USCCB document or a Christian rock song? Can, is both an option? I suppose. But I happen to know that created anew is a USCCB document. It is. You are correct. Wow. Okay. Open wide my heart. Open wide my heart? Open wide my heart, JD. What do you guys think? USCCB document or Christian rock song? Oh, wait. Hang on. There is a song called created anew. Oh! Really? <laughs> Christine! Oh, it's, 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 if it's not a Christian song. I don't know. I mean, it looks like it probably is. There's a lot of, like, I mean, What if Christine right now discovered that there's an entire genre of Islamic soft rock, and this is actually, like, and she's going to get really into it? What I want is we need a great musical Catholic comedian to do a Weird Al Yankovic version of various USCCB documents yeah, that sound like Christian rock right. songs. Okay, so created a new... Uh, created a new is apparently both. Both things, okay. So I get two jello shots. No, but you open wide my heart. You haven't answered yet. Song or document? Song. Song. The document's called Open Wide Our Hearts. Yes, you're correct. This is a Christian rock song by someone called Matthew West. Okay. All right. Um, Walking free, JD. Walking free. I think song. Do you guys think song? Walking free? You think both? Mrs. Hadro, what do you think? Okay, back in the corner, what do you think? Okay, that one uh, was where I am. Sarah Perla thinks song, and you're confident about it, and you worked at, used to work at the OCCB. Okay. Song. Walking Free is, in fact, a song by someone called Micah Taylor. Okay, nice. All right. Um, all Things in Charity, J.D. All Things in Charity. That sounds like a terrible name for a song, so I'm going with document. What is it a document about? 
Document? Are we on the same page? Document? Document? Yes, it is. It's a USCCB document. Ubi Caritas? Yeah. Okay. All right. Give me a hard one. All right. All things new. <laughs> song? Do you guys know it's a song or it just sounds like a song to you? Okay, Peter Jesser Smith is the new news editor at Our Sunday Visitor News. He's, Peter Jesser Smith is a man with encyclopedic knowledge of all things. J.D., if it was an Irish song, I would tell you in a heartbeat. Okay. But this is not my genre. <laughs> but you, you seem like you'd be a Christian rock fan. Like, you seem like there's probably a DC Talk t-shirt underneath that suit and coat tie. Kate Scanlon, you know stuff. Canon Law students in the back, what do you guys think? All things new. Equally bad. <laughs> Equally bad is a USCCB document. I'm going to go with song. Song. We're going with song. So everybody think song. You are correct. It is a we song. We did it! We did it! By, oh. by someone called Big Daddy Weave. Which hey, Are you sure it's Christian? I'm pretty sure it's Christian. Okay. I mean, I Googled the... T- I took titles of USCCB documents and things that sound like you... And then Googled them with Christian rock song. Oh, that's... That's how I did this. Okay, Walk in the Light. Walk in the Light. We're giving... If, if someone helps me get this right, we'll give you a t-shirt. Walk and a jello shot. And a jello shot. Both. Both? All right. Make noise if you think it's both. Yeah, okay. M- make noise if you think it's a document. Make noise if you think it's a song. Okay. Again, document. Document people make noise. Okay. Song people. You know, I trust the people who have the courage of their convictions to go against the crowd. I'm going document. Yes, we did it! We did it! Give that lady a shirt! Who Give said, that lady a shirt! Who said document? Yeah. You've got a shirt. Oh, give some shirts to the document people only. Guy, Thank you. These two document people, three document people, you get hoodies. Yeah, you get hoodies. That was a good call. Thing. Who here is from? Who here lives in Maryland? You have to make noise because the podcast. Who here lives in Virginia? Who here lives in uh, D.C.? Not, not that many people. Who here lives in Pennsylvania? Oh, state travel. There that you is go. Some interstate travel. All right, we'll give you um, some. Stuff too. Stuff. All right. We'll just throw We're a battery. Gonna, I'm at giving you. the whole box away tonight yeah, okay. because I, I can't bring more crap home or my wife will get annoyed. Um, all right. Uh, all right. So we did walk in the light. When I call for help. <laughs> I want it to be a document. Hey, no spoilers. No spoilers at the back. I want it to be a document. What would it be a document about? If when no, I call don't for go help there. Is a don't document, go there. What that is that. Don't go there. It could. It Don't go there. It the, couldn't be. It couldn't be a song because it would be a weird. It would be a very weird song or a very weird document. And very weird document is more likely than very weird song because they don't have to sell the documents. You got to sell the song. So I'm going document. Sarah Pearl, you say document. What's it, it is about? a good document. It's a very good document. Oh, it doesn't matter what it's about. We're not talking about that. No, we're not. Remember okay, what I said at the beginning? We were not going to get offended. We were just to play the game on its own terms. Surprised that you went there. Okay, do the next one quickly now because it's sort of weird. All right, Arms of Grace. Song. Yeah, it's a song about a fireman. I can't tell that there's any of these. How are you all getting them instinctively? I don't understand that. Yes, Arms of Grace is a song. Brian and Katie Torwalt. 
Brian and Katie Torwald love. Yeah. Them. All right. This one. If this one doesn't get you, I I give up. Um, two feet of love. It can't be a document. Come on. It can't be a document. Two feet of love. <laughs> uh, do we think that it means... Do we think it means... Is there a rule? Yeah, the measurement or the foot? Like, is this a, a, a document about podiatry or is this a document about... Let's spell F-E-E-T if that helps you. No, it doesn't, doesn't help me. Who thinks it's document? Who thinks it's song? Document. Yes. This is a USCCB document. Yeah, it's because of the footsteps. It's like when I was on the beach or what Wait, have you. No, you no, 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 no. Don't try and make this title have document. something. No, it was like... a presentation about elementary school books for kids. Okay? This is not – there was – No, I, it was like – like, I, I was watched the, it. How come there I didn't see two, four feet of love? Well, that was when I carried you. No, this was <laughs> – You know, Ed, think about it. I don't want to. Um, okay, last one. Uh, can you please tell me USCCB document or song? Summary of standards for formation and certification of lay ecclesial ministers in the Archdiocese of Chicago. I lo- Summary of standards. I love that song. Um, yeah, look, she's totally into it. Been that would be a great Weird, Weird Al song. Yeah, I know. Okay. Fantastic. Well, that was a great game, Ed. Thank you. You answered the document. You did a great job. And thank you guys for coming. This was really fun for us. I don't know if it was fun for you, but it was fun for us. So thank you for yeah, that. That's all. And thank you. And really, we. Um, I'm going to say something. If I say something nice, will you say it too? Or are you okay? He's going to do that. I, I'm in the mood to be really nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, we. Uh, I just need to sit over here now. Um, <laughs> just like slightly more than two feet of love between us is what I. <laughs> Is what I need now. Um, we are uh, we uh, when we made the pillar, we didn't know if anyone was going to read it, and when we made the show, we certainly didn't know if anyone was going to listen to it. And when Ed rented out this bar and then told me about it, we certainly didn't know if anyone was going to come. And uh, we're very edified that the pillar is in addition to our website that reports news, a community of people who want to be disciples of the Lord and want and love the church enough to want the church to be um, to live the promises that the Lord made for it and to do that well and um, and so we're just really we are to, the the pillar has been for us like encouraging and spiritually renewing and um, and deeply edifying as a project and that's because of you guys and we're just really for us it's we think that we have to do this because we think that in our baptism God has called us to do this kind of journalism for the good of the church and then not only are there people who want to read it but then there are people who love the church as much as we do and want to come and do this and want to be saints and that's what we want to be and so we're just really very grateful for you yes i and i mean it is true that we when we started the pill we, we didn't know what we were doing <laughs> we also don't know what we're doing now we, all, we still <laughs> don't know what we're doing but as as you probably can tell seeing the two of us in close proximity to each other and reading the stuff that we write and if you ever listen to this podcast hearing how we talk to each other every week we we have a a loving fraternal relationship but it's a deeply dysfunctional fractious one and you're my the best friend. That... <laughs> well, I'm not. <laughs> I'm your old... No, I'm not. That's, that's your business. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> the point we is... We don't know. Well, that's the end of the pillar, everybody. No, I was going somewhere with this. Just, just call your jets. 
No, but it, it is true that we it, we work long hours. We work usually 14-hour days more or less and six days a week and that sort of thing. And it would the, the temptation for us to burn out or take it out on each other is almost omnipresent. And the reason we don't is because we are very lucky that we have people like you who turn up to stuff like this, who write to us, who email us, who DM us, who all of that stuff that we would not be able to do this and to do the things that we do to make the pillar go every day if we were not being sustained by people like you around us. So really, sincerely, thank you. All right. Well, that was very nice. Best friend club. (laughs) Okay. Have an orange. The uh, pillar podcast is a production of two best friends. Love wolves. <laughs> two two yeah, feet of love. Two independent feet of love <laughs> walking as one. Our executive producer is Kate Oliveira. I'm your host, J.D. Flynn. I'm joined by my podcasting partner and best friend, Ed Condon. And uh, our host tonight was uh, Todd Connors Bar, which is a actually remarkably nice establishment. And um, we'll be back next week to talk about stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.